morning. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Zeke Flores. I am actually the pastor here. Um, maybe you're new and you've been like seeing this other younger cat up here. Um, that's my son. Um, I'm so blessed to be able to uh, not be here and then have people just kind of take over and not skip a beat. And so if you haven't heard the last two studies from uh, 1 Corinthians, I encourage you to go back and listen to them. Um, also, if you're not regularly here on Thursday nights, um, I would encourage you to listen to the studies that Pastor Gary taught in 2 Samuel. He just kind of picks up where or whoever's teaching that night when I'm not there, kind of just picks up 2 Samuel when I'm not there. And both of those were epic. Um, if you are a family, if you have a family, if you've ever been part of a family, you need to listen to those two studies especially. But all of them have been great. Um, again, I want to thank you guys so much for praying for me and my family. <laughs> my mom is stable right now. She's doing okay. For those of you guys who may not know, she is suffering from kidney failure. She's probably less than uh, 7% kidney function. She's 88 years old, refuses dialysis. She's always refused it, <laughs> but um, she's a feisty little, little woman, um, little Mexican lady, and she's uh, deteriorating, and that's just very hard to see. And uh, in the past month, she's probably lost 20 pounds, and... She wasn't all that big to, to begin with. And so it's just kind of been a tough time for me and my family. And, uh, but God's going to see us through everything. And I am so confident of that. She knows where she's going. Um, so I'm at peace with that. But you know what? It just sucks all the way around. <laughs> it just kind of sucks, right? Um, a lot of you guys have been through that, are going through that. And... Um, so anyways, just wanted to give you a quick update on that and just continue to pray. My wife is down there this morning. She took off last night to be here, be with her during the night. And so she went from my wife or my, my mom went from kind of doing stuff. She's always she's walked with a walker for a while um, a month ago, doing her coffee and just living life to not being able to do anything in, in less than a month. So quite a turnaround on her. So. And if you will, turn to Revelation chapter 14, as we are back in our series, Christ Revealed. Now, during the last two chapters that we've covered, in the last two months or so, the revelation of Jesus Christ has revealed to us several characters, and I just kind of want to go over them again because it's been a couple of weeks since we were last in Revelation. But in chapter 12, we saw the woman um, that was Israel, or that is Israel, the fiery red dragon, which is Satan. We saw the, the male child referring to Jesus. We ran into uh, an archangel by the name of Michael. And then there was the offspring of the woman, basically, and that is the tribulation saints. In chapter 13, we saw the, the beast rising out, rising up out of the sea. 
And that beast would be the political antichrist that will come on the scene. And the last character that we ran across was another beast, it said, in the middle of chapter 13. And he is also referred to as the false prophet. He will be the religious leader. And he will also be referred to as the religious antichrist. All of that, in those two chapters, all of that, in all of that, we covered a lot of history. Some that has already come to pass. And some that is still future. But it will come to pass. And I could say that with confidence, that it will come to pass. And I say it with confidence because it is in the Word of God. And my confidence is in the Word of God. He, he has given us His Word so that we know what's happened in the past, what's happening today, and what will happen in the future. And I am so confident in the Word of God. And as I was thinking about that even this morning, you know, people will always challenge the Word of God. Oh, that it's written by man and, and things like that. And it is inspired by God. And yet they don't, they don't really challenge any other writings. <laughs> you know, nobody challenges a math book, huh? Nobody challenges history most of the time, except those who like to revive history, revise history. But for the most part, nobody really challenges other books and other writings by his, you know, people from way back. And yet, you know, the Word of God is so credible. There, there is so much evidence that proves that this is the Word of God. And so if it is the Word of God, then I can, with confidence tell you that whatever is written in the Word of God, if it has not already come to pass, it will come to pass. Most definitely. Now, as we have been covering and as we are in these chapters, we are still in the seven trumpets. Some of you guys going, when did that happen? That was a while back. (laughs) That was a while back. We are still, back in chapter 9, we got into the sixth trumpet, which is also the second of the three woe trumpets. And so in chapter 11, verse 14, because we had a parenthetical chapter there in chapter 10, leading into basically chapter 11, in chapter 14, in chapter Uh, 11 verse 14 it says the second woe has passed behold the third woe is coming quickly now in the very next verse of that chapter chapter 11 in verse 15 it starts off by saying to us then the seventh angel sounded and 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 it talks and, and you're almost like okay here's that trumpet sound right and all of a sudden it takes us into a heavenly scene and so we've been in that realm for a while to where some of it's in, in, in heaven, some of it's in earth, it's history, it's future, it's all these kinds of things. But we are still in the seventh trumpet area, in between those two, the, seventh, or the sixth and the seventh trumpet. We haven't gotten to the third woe trumpet, which will be in chapter 15. And that is only the introduction to the woe that will be in chapter 16. Which means 
that this morning we get into a another parenthetical chapter, which means it is a parenthesis of a chapter. <laughs> which means that we're st still not going through chronological, chronological order here. Okay? So uh, try, trying to make sense of it all, sometimes you're kind of like, where are we at? Well, sometimes you're in heaven, sometimes you're on earth, but I can guarantee you we are in the Word of God. That's where we're going to be. And so, again, sometimes it can be a little like, where are we? It's like, let's just go, let's just stand the Word of God. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 5 is what we'll cover this morning. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 100, the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. <clears throat> Going back to verse 1. Then I looked, he said. Now there are several things that are happening in verse 1. Which means that we will probably be camping here for a little bit. John says, then I looked. I, I have to believe that, that as John is, is, is there in, this, in heaven that he is in such amazement of everything that has been going on around him. To think that he was chosen among anybody else throughout history to be caught up into heaven, basically, and, and be shown this vision, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the man. He is the one that gets to see all of this. And God has, has allowed him to not only see all this stuff, but he writes it down for us. It's like, whoa, it's amazing. But I can imagine that, man, there's just so much going on. And, and man, it kind of, it as I was going through this, it just kind of reminded me of me. When, when I kind of get a little excited about something that is so amazing in my life, something that I've gotten to experience, especially when it has to do with the Lord, a good burger would give me that same kind of excitement. <laughs> a, bird, a good steak or steak joint will, I mean, some of you guys know, man, I can like 
talk everything up, and I get pretty excited about those things. But especially when I get to experience certain things that the Lord lets me experience or see or be a part of, man, that I get so excited, and man, man, I'm just kind of like, man, this happened, and then that happened, and then, and then, and then we went over here, and then we said, and it was like, where, 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 where was I? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then this happened, and that, and so it's almost like, this is what I feel like John is going through because he's seen all these things happen. And so he has to throw parentheses somewhere in there because like, oh, let me get back to this. And he kind of zooms in on a particular situation or on a particular time in history. And you're going, man, you were talking about the future. Now you're talking about the past. Man, you were talking about the past and now you're giving us a glimpse of the future. You were in heaven, now you're on earth. How? It's like, dude, if you were the one writing all this down, depending on your demeanor, it could have been just long and boring. And it's like, wow. I think this is so exciting. When he writes these things, and man, if you're kind of jumped into the book of Revelation and you're following along and you're reading, you're studying, you're going, man, oh man, this is exciting stuff. I'm out of breath. I'm kind of like not used to this. Um, for <laughs> What he is experiencing is something on grand scale that we can't even imagine right now. And he says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. This is no ordinary lamb. (laughs) This is the lamb, Jesus Christ, the lamb. The one that John the Baptist spoke about when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is who he's talking about. The very one that when we were back in chapter 5, several months back, is the only worthy one to take the scroll that is in the hand of him who sits on the throne. This is the Lamb that is worthy to take back the title deed because he paid for it with his own blood. This is the lamb that that we are looking at. This is the lamb that Satan tries to imitate like, like he did with the beast. He says that he looked like a lamb, but he wasn't a lamb. He looked like one, but he wasn't. No, this is the lamb, Jesus Christ. Now, he hasn't taken his focus off the lamb with all that has been going on in in this whole vision. He hasn't taken his focus off the lamb because everything that we are reading about, even though we're not talking about the lamb in particular, everything is about the lamb because it's up and it is because of the lamb that everything that he's writing here, it's about the lamb and because of the lamb. He hasn't taken his focus off. But with all the stuff that's kind of going on, says the lamb was standing on Mount Zion. Now Zion is the ancient name for the hills that make up Jerusalem. It is also known as Mount Moriah. And if you remember Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham took his son Isaac to sacrifice it's the same mountain range right there that, that Jerusalem is built upon. 
Mount Zion is, is, is where King Solomon built the temple of God on the Temple Mount. And it has become to it is known as Mount Zion. Now, we see here in verse 1 that Jesus is standing on Mount Zion. And because it tells us that he is standing on Mount Zion, this would bring up some questions as to where is this actually taking place? Is he standing on on Mount Zion physically? Because if he is, then this would be taking place after his return to the earth. Because there's only two advents, there's only two comings of the Lord. The first coming and his second coming. That he will touch down on earth. The first one is as a child. The second one is when he comes and he sets up his kingdom here on earth. That's the only time Jesus will touch down on earth. So if he is here physically, then then this could basically be this victory party that he is having with the 144,000 before they enter into the millennial time, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Which would mean that these 144,000, he has secured and protected and kept them alive all the way up until the beginning of the, the, the millennial age, which means that they will go into the millennial age. And be a part of that. Now, that's one possibility. But could it be a spiritual thing? In that, Jesus is there with them, spiritually speaking, and not physically. It could be possible. Because Jesus could do whatever he wants in the spiritual realm. Even in that time period, he could send his Holy Spirit to be with them. And he is there spiritually, but not physically. The way we experience him today through the Holy Spirit. That's a possibility. Another possibility is, they could be in what is also known as the heavenly Zion. And they are now safe in heaven, these 144,000. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Now, the problem with that possibility is that Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 is speaking about the church and not the 144,000. But, but that does not negate the fact that there is still a Mount Zion in the heavenly Jerusalem. All these possibilities are possible. But the following verses give us a heavenly scene, not so much an earthly scene. And so I tend to lean with the last possibility, but it is possible that the other possibilities are possible 
and possibly the next time I teach this, I will lean towards another possibility. It's possible, Dave. So, <clears throat> so now we're talking about, so I give you all these possibilities, now you're going, uh, uh, figure it out yourself, <laughs> which way you're leaning. So now we're talking about the 144,000. These 144,000, if you've missed the book of Revelation, you're going, who are they? Well, we ran into them back in chapter 5. Oh, no, back in chapter 7, I'm sorry. <clears throat> we ran into them back then. And chapter 7 was also a parenthetical chapter. There was a parenthesis chapter, which we have another one here, and they are mentioned again. We saw in chapter 6 that the seven seals had begun, but in chapter 7, the parentheses brought us back before the seven seals to let us know that God had separated these 144,000 to put a seal upon them, his seal of protection, so that they can go through all this time in the tribulation time. And it was before the seven seals actually started. Okay. Now, that seal that is set is set on their foreheads with the name of God the Father. Now, there is a footnote in my Bible, in my translation, in the New King James and also in the King James. But most translations will, will, would, would, would sound more like this, um, who had his name, and his father's name written on their forehead, and his name would be the Lamb's name. That's the way a lot of other translations share it. And again, there's a footnote in my Bible that it would read like that in the original. So it says that they have something written on their name, and it, it more than likely is the Lamb's name and his father's name, <clears throat> which is very interesting given the fact that a couple of weeks ago in what we were covering, this copycat Satan does the same thing with the beast and the false prophet. In that they, they, they make their people, the people that follow after them, put some kind of a, a seal, some kind of a mark, or some kind of a name on their foreheads, on, on the people's foreheads, and on their right hand. Those who who they claim to be theirs, and those who claim to be a part of the Antichrist system. So with that, as I was looking at that going, oh wow, here Satan will do that with the people, and yet we have here that God sets a seal on these people. And the question needs to be asked at this point, what seal, mark, or name will you have on your forehead? Because it just kind of seems that everybody's going to have some kind of seal, some kind of mark, some kind of name that, that they will be a part of in, in eternity or for eternity. 
Now, we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, as the Apostle Paul is writing to the saints, to the Christian, to the church, but you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which speaks of God himself putting a seal on those who are his, on the church. What seal will you have on your forehead for all eternity? I think it's a valid question that we need to ask ourselves even today. As we're talking about marks, as we're talking about seals, as we saw in chapter 13, this particular group, and then we see this in this particular chapter. And knowing that Ephesians says, hey, God has set a seal on those who are His. So God is able to do the same thing with the 144,000. And for that matter, the tribulation saints as well. Which they could possibly have a different seal, however it might look, but it will add up to God the Father. It might be a different seal that we have as Christians and, and that the, the, the tribulation saints might have or the, the 144th. But all of it will add up to God the Father. The point being, there will be a seal, a mark, or a name on each forehead and it will either add up to God, 777, or add up to man, 666. One way or another. <laughs> it all kind of... There's, there's a line drawn and there's, there's going to be a stamp on your forehead one way or another. In verses 2 and 3 it says, And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. John seems to hear a lot of voices. <laughs> Again, with everything that is going on, he has captured something over here, he, he hears a voice over there, and then he hears a, a voice over here and there. About, and, and, and there's so much that is going on, and yet he is catching a lot of these things. But this voice that he hears, he, he, he is familiar with this voice. He knows that this is the voice of God or of the Lamb. He's heard this voice before. It's become very familiar to him. But he also hears the sound of harpists playing their harps. Who are these harp players? (laughs) Well, we saw back in chapter 5 that the 24 elders, which represents the church, has harps. And in Revelation 15, 2... We, we see that the tribulation saints will also have harps. Now as John hears the music from the harps, all of a sudden the, the 144,000 bust out in a song. But are they the ones that are playing harps as well? I'm not quite sure if it is them or not. But as I was thinking about all this harp playing, I thought this is probably where we get the pictures or all the stories that all we're going to be doing in heaven is playing harps. 
which isn't a bad thing because if you hear a good harp player, man, they are like stinking amazing, right? But all this harp playing will be for the glory of God. So I don't know, maybe if you want to start taking up the harp and get used to it. <laughs> now, do you want to know what that song was? I do too. But it says that nobody else can learn this song. Dang. It's like not written down. And they, knew, they wrote or they sang a new song and here's the words. It doesn't tell us the words. Nobody else can learn that particular song. It is unique to the 144,000. These, these guys are, are unique. Not that they're any more special than anybody else, but they have just been chosen to stand out for that time. For such a time as this, they have been called. Throughout history, God has set up men and women for certain tasks, equipping them for that time and for that task. And it is quite possible that all these people from times past and maybe now and later on, everybody will have their own unique song, unique to them and to their time. But he has chosen you today to stand out. And you are unique. Now, will you have your own song? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if, if, if we as a church will have our own unique song that nobody else will ever get to know except the church. I don't know about that. But there is something that you have been chosen for. And you were born in this time in history for a time such as this. Just like the 144,000 will be for that time period. Now, the reason I believe that the 144,000 are in heaven and not on earth is because of this verse and the next verse, because the next verse says that these were redeemed from among men. And this verse tells us that the 144,000 were redeemed from the earth. That's why I tend to lean that away. The, the word redeem means to purchase, to buy in the market. And if you are redeemed, it sounds like it's already taken place. In other words, these two verses seem to indicate that they have already been purchased and removed from any further sale that anybody else could try to purchase them with. Now, one commentator suggests that their feet are firmly planted on the earth, in the earthly Mount Zion, yet their praises takes them right into the presence of God in the heavenly Zion, which could be possible. <laughs> and, I, and like I said earlier, all these possibilities are possible. And I totally understand what this commentator is saying because that is exactly what happens to us each and every day as we are here on the, this earth. We are here on earth and God is in heaven. And when we praise and worship and pray to Him, He hears it in His very presence. So I could understand that too. 
And we are redeemed. Past tense, God has redeemed us. And yet we are still on this earth. And yet we've been taken off the shelf so that no one else can pluck us out of his hand. But we're still here on earth. And so all these possibilities are possible still. But right now, I just lean towards being in heaven and all of this taking place in heaven. Verses 4 and 5 says, These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. We know from chapter 7, when they were first introduced to us, who these 40, 144,000 men are. They are 12,000 men from each tribe of Israel, from the 12 tribes of Israel, which adds up to 144,000. But here, in, in chapter 14, we have a description of what type of men they are. In, in other words, we get to know them on a deeper level, a little deeper, if you will. What they're made out of how they carry themselves, what kind of character they have. These, it says, were men who, were not, who have not defiled themselves with women. In other words, they have kept themselves pure. It's interesting because when you look at this time frame, when you're looking at the 144,000 in future tense as part of the tribulation time, we look at today and we say, in this day and age, in this generation, man, anything goes. <laughs> to find purity, man, nowadays, man, is almost, almost impossible. Can you imagine what it's going to look like in the tribulation time when, when the spirit has been taken out of the way and people believe a lie and they do not adhere to the truth any longer? Can you imagine how it's going to look then. We think it looks bad now. <laughs> These men, whether they're already alive today or is still future, these men, regardless of what society has been telling them, will get to this point in their lives and they will be pure. They will be virgins. They will go against the grain of our society. It's tough, man, this, this society, isn't it? Even within the Christian community. How people just feel like, oh, but if I never get married, I'll never have sex, and then I'll... Blah, blah. And so they have to go for it right now, and they have, you know, and they, they let down their guard, and they forget... What the Word of God, or no, they don't forget. They just ignore what the Word of God says. But these men, they know what they have been called for somehow. And they fight against it. 
And it's interesting because the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 encourages those who were single to remain that way because of the times that he was living in back then. He was saying, man, if you are single, you can devote yourself wholly to the Lord and you don't have to worry about the cares of this life because you have to support a wife or take care of a family. He says, no, if you are single, stay single so that you can devote all your time to the service of God. But with singleness comes purity. It's not a suggestion. (laughs) It's a command from the Lord. Not defiling themselves. Staying away from fornication and sexual immorality. It says in, in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, it says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Everybody should underline that portion. We always want to know what the will of God is, right? Here's the will of God. It says plain, straight up. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passions, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testify, for God has not called us to uncleanness, but to holiness. And I know some of you might be thinking, that's, that's 144,000, not me, <laughs> right? <laughs> no. This is for all of us here, married, unmarried, all of us that we should know how to possess our own vessels. And I know the question would, well, what is sexual immorality? Anything outside of marriage. There you go. These men, in this time frame, when, when all anything goes, will continue to stay pure. That is a commandment for the Christian as well. We are to stay pure. Not perfect, pure. <laughs> it says that they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Their, to- their testimony is that they wholly follow the Lord. That is their testimony. Like Caleb from the OT back in the day who desired to follow the Lord in Numbers 14:24 it says but my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully I will bring into the land where he went 
and his descendants shall inherit it. It was a promise for Caleb. Why? Because he wholly followed the Lord. That guy was not going to be diverted. Him and, J- him and Joshua go with the other eight to go spy out the land. And the other eight are going, we can't do this. Caleb's going, you kidding me, man? We got God on our side, man. Let's go take these clowns right now. Giant clowns, actually. Let's go take them all. We got, we got this. And they're going, ha, Caleb, ha, that zeal's going to get us killed. No, he wholly followed the Lord. And these men here wholly follow the Lamb wherever he leads them. Wherever he goes, they will follow, no matter what the world says. And once again, man, that, that, that is for us today, right? It's not just for the 144,000. That should be our desire as well. Like these men who, who, who live and breathe to do the will of God, that should be our desire. They are not going to be swayed by anybody or anything, even as the beast, the, 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 the false prophet, even though they are being attacked, they will not be swayed. They know what their purpose is. And for that time, that is what God requires of them and that is what he requires of us today that we would not be swayed that we would understand why we are called today to walk a, 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 according to his purpose not the world's purpose to go upstream instead of just floating downstream just like anybody else that's what he's called us to and so when I read about what God has for the future for the 144,000 I have to look at it and it's like Well, that's just for them, right? No, it's for us. It's for me. He requires of that to us for for us today. And they were the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. They were, in that time frame, the beginning of the harvest of the tribulation. God was going to use them to evangelize the world. They would be the instruments that God used by calling them out, setting them aside, sanctifying them, if you will, to preach the gospel. And it says, and in their mouth, there was no deceit, no guile, no lie. These were not sinless men, but they have been cleansed. They have been changed. They have been born again, if you will. Just like who? Us. We're not not sinless. But after becoming a Christian, we should sin less. Right? (laughs) Because why? We have been cleansed. We have been changed. We have become born again. We have a different DNA now than what the world has gave us and what our own physical bodies have we have a different because he lives in us we are born through him through the holy spirit if you remember when we were going through jude at the end of jude it says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy god is able 
He is able. He is able to keep us from falling, from stumbling. So, so what we have here this morning is the victory of the Lamb. If, if you were here and you heard chapter 13, and it kind of just kind of scared you a little bit with all that's going to be going on, take comfort. Chapter 14 comes right after chapter 16, or 13. We have victory. The Lamb has victory. He is standing on Mount Zion, whether it's here on earth or in the heavenly Mount Zion. He is standing, which means that he is victorious. And what Christ has revealed to us today through his word is that if he is able to deliver 144,000 through the hardest time in all of history, as Jesus said, there will be no other time like this in history, the tribulation time. If God is able to deliver 144,000, which is still future, and I understand that, but I know He will, then He is able to deliver us today. Today. With anything that we may be going through, whatever it is, He is able. What are you going through today that would just rock you? Or what could you go through that would just devastate you? He is able. No matter what it is, if it's persecution, if it's hardship, if it's affliction, whatever the case is, if it's death, if death is facing, if you're facing death right now, whether you or your loved one, God is able. I, I, I can say with certainty, with confidence, that what I read here about the future, about these 144,000 men, I am with confidence will say, oh, it's a done deal already. You could already take that to the bank because of who God is. His word has shown us that he has delivered people in times past, and it is certain that he will deliver in the future. So, Today, we need to trust him that he will deliver you today. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, blessed be your name. You are so worthy to be praised, Lord. Lord, there is nothing that escapes you. There is nothing that takes you by surprise. Father, there is nothing that knocks you off your throne. Father, help us to have that confidence in our hearts right now. Today, no matter what we're facing today. Because your word has revealed to us that throughout history, Lord, you have delivered your people. It has shown us once again that in the future you will deliver your people, your chosen ones. Lord, today, help your people, Lord, to trust that. That no matter what they're facing today, the struggles that they face, the trials that they face, the persecution that they face, that today they would see the Lamb of God standing on Mount Zion in victory because you have given victory to us. We're more the conquerors, your word says. Lord, help us walk in that. And because we are able to walk in that, Lord, give us the boldness to go and preach and share the gospel with our loved ones and with those around us, Lord God. Give us boldness, Lord. 
like you, you, you will give these 144,000. We thank you and we praise you. Lord, bless my brothers and sisters. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, man, you're missing out. Because it's a, quite a possibility that one day you will have a seal on your forehead. And it will not add up to God. But you have the opportunity this morning to change that. <laughs> to say, Lord, I do not want man's seal. I want your seal. And so this morning, right where you sit, are you willing to say, Lord, save me. Put your seal, your stamp, your name on me right now. And if there's anybody this morning that needs that, just raise your hand and say, please, I need that. Pray for me, Pastor. Is there anyone? Don't leave here without that. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for these people here. I thank you, Lord God. By not anyone raising their hands, right now all these people are proclaiming that they have your stamp upon their forehead right now. What a blessing that is, Lord. So this morning, this just has been instruction for them, Lord. Reminder of what the Word of God is. That it is true and it is powerful. And so we look to you to glorify you in everything, Lord, of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.